Hi, this is Matt Griffo. Then This Happened is a show where real stories are told and musical improvisers cut in and out with improvised songs, moving the story along. This episode, the storyteller is Drake Schrader. All right, everybody. Today we are going to hear a story of universal magnitude and of epic proportions and possibly the biggest story of our species and possibly the biggest and largest story of all time. Now, our story starts billions and billions of light years away as two supermassive black holes begin to collide with each other. A black hole. What is a black hole, you may ask? It's hard to understand. Black holes are one of the least understood cosmic entities out there. But a black hole is a massive pit of gravity that bends space-time because of the dense center with so much gravitational pull It lets no light escape. When a star dies, it collapses inward rapidly, exploding into a supernova of catastrophic expulsion of its outer material. We're talking the biggest explosions in the entire universe. Now, these stars, whenever they explode, they collapse within, creating a black hole. Now, on a black hole, there is what's called an event horizon. Now, this horizon is where the gravitational pull of the black hole becomes the strongest it can before anything is able to escape it. So once you're caught in that event horizon, there's no turning back. Now, a black hole at the very center has an infinite amount of density with no volume, meaning it takes up zero amount of space, but it is the most dense thing in the entire universe. Inside of a black hole, there's a hyperdense spot that's the center of the black hole. And every fraction of a fraction of a proton away from that deep center pulls you a different amount based on the gravity and the density of the center of the black hole. And this would result if you were caught in a black hole in what we call spaghettification, the scientific term for gravity pulling from different distances from the epicenter of the black hole, which stretch you into 
miles and miles of your own skin and flesh like spaghetti. billions of light years away, millions of light years ago. How do we know it happens? Well, whenever you look at a black hole, you don't see anything. The gravitational pull of the black hole is so strong that even light itself cannot escape. So in order for us to be able to measure and see black holes from millions of light years away, we had to get creative. And that's where this story really begins. We're going to fast forward a little bit to the 1960s where Joseph Weber created the first detector for gravitational waves. And this is a very elementary detector. 1967, he proposes a system that is now called LIGO. Now, LIGO stands for Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. LIGO Disco. Interferometer is a large L-shaped observatory, okay? It takes two or more sources of light to create an interference pattern to be able to read anything that passes through the sources of light. This can be used to detect the tiniest of objects or phenomenons that measure a distance of one to the ten thousandth the width of a proton. That is so, so, so small. Now what they do is they take these L-shaped large steel vacuum tubes. Each arm is about four kilometers long. These are steel vacuum tubes covered by 10 feet wide, 12 foot tall concrete shelter. Now this concrete shelter is designed to prevent any other interference other than what they're trying to detect from hitting the laser system. No interference. Inside each of these L-shaped columns, is a mirror, and on the convergence of the mirror is a laser beam splitter and another mirror. So you have two lasers being sent from each leg of the L towards the center, converging on a mirror and being sent back to the source. It may sound confusing, but if you imagine a laser being shot down a five kilometer tunnel and being reversed back with a mirror and being reversed back with another mirror and reversed again about six times. So many lasers! So there are two of these observatories, and they are 4,000 kilometers apart, okay? There's one in Hanford, which is southeastern Washington state, and there's one in Livingston, Louisiana. And these are placed very specifically geographically on the Earth in order to help triangulate the direction that they were intended to 
receive those gravitational waves. So there's another network of other gravitational wave observatories that since LIGO was founded have popped up in and around the world and they all work together sharing analytics and data. But whenever phenomena happens where they are, when they're able to read a gravitational wave, it happens simultaneously within tenths of a second at each of the observatories around the world. And with that data, they're able to look into the sky basically and triangulate the direction that the black holes would converge eight million light years ago. So LIGO, the most advanced measuring systems that humankind has created today. When Joseph originally had the idea about LIGO, he didn't necessarily have the instruments or tools to put it into place, much less the funding. So 1970s begin, early work on the modern day gravitational wave detection with interferometers begins. And once again, that interferometer is that laser system that layers lasers over each other for about 4,000 kilometers. So many lasers. 1979, the National Science Foundation funds Caltech and MIT laser interferometer research. This is huge because it allows them to take all of the data they've been working on for the past 20 years and apply it to an actual system of instruments that they believe will help them discover and be able to measure gravitational waves. 1983, they present their findings about laser interferometer research to the National Science Foundation, and they receive an endorsement and funding. And the following year, LIGO is founded as a Caltech and MIT project. Oh, in 1983, we got funded. We got so much money. Got funded. Money, 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 money. Gonna set So obviously, the government worked extremely slow, and most of the 1980s was them just finding uh, the information they need, turning in their documents and forms. So 1999, LIGO has their inauguration ceremony. 16 years go by. 16 years until 2015. Those 16 years were spent uh, you know, using the facility, trying to harness their instruments, tighten them up, make sure that they're able to read the gravitational waves if they pass through, but silence. Nothing on the lasers, nothing in either of the systems. 16 years of hard work, throwing things at the wall, nothing seems to work. Oh, uh, not a lot. You getting anything yesterday? Uh, Any data? Oh, gosh. You know, I uh, had to, I poked my computer a couple of times. Checked, uh, checked a couple, uh, checked a couple emails. I, uh... I started a poem. Oh. Yeah. I've been, uh, doing, uh, not, I mean, we're, I'm working on science. Oh. But it's, I'm screwing some things together just to tighten some stuff up. Oh, tightened up. Oh! 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 oh. Sorry, my coffee was hot. Oh, yeah. Hot. Hot coffee. We do have a good coffee maker. Good coffee maker, maker yeah. We spent a lot of money on that thing. Yeah, it was... Oh. Not in the budget. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. but yeah, it's like space, you know. Oh, is that a bloop? Did you see a little blip? Bloop? Uh, I th- I I don't know. Some sometimes I just sit here so long. I don't know if it's a if it's a reading oh. or if it's. It sounds like something. It sounds like something. Did you? Is that a bloop? It's a bloop. Ah, uh, did... that's pretty good. We should probably start recording this, right? We should probably start recording it. September 14th, 2015, 16 years spent building, harnessing, tightening, 
making this laser the best it could be. They turn the machine on. Days later, they get the first ever gravitational wave hit on their laser. It's been 15 years. Uh, been tightening this up. Just some tightening. Yeah, I've had three kids. They're doing okay. Wow. I, uh, uh, I'm infertile. Oh, wow. But that gives me a lot of time to tighten these things up yeah, and make you coffee. Up. Maybe you're in the wrong kind of science. Ooh, yep. I'm working on it. You know, working on it. Science. Science. Uh, yeah, I have uh, a lot of uh, just empty notes. Let's start this up. Let's try and start it. I feel like we've been we've been getting this ready for a long time. Oh, yeah. I have mixed wires. I've tightened. I have a lot of feelings we'll about this. Tight- All right. Here we go. Here we go. This? We're going to turn it on. We're going to turn it on. Holy crap! I I didn't expect all this. This is a lot. I think we have the beginning of something, David. This is a lot of data. This is going to take a a long time to get through. As soon as they turned it on, uh, they were able to measure ripples in the fabric of space-time, arriving at Earth from a cataclysmic event in the distant universe. And like the billions of uh, similar waves that have passed through Earth over the course of history that have just gone undetected, this one was generated by an in-spiral merger and collision of two massive ultra-distant objects from far beyond our own galaxy. From over a billion light years away, two massive black holes collided and the signal moving at the speed of light finally reached Earth. How big is our sun? It's huge. It's enormous. You could fit 965,453 of our Earths into our sun. That's just our sun, and our sun is on the smaller spectrum of some of the other larger suns. I'm so big. So much bigger. Oh, I'm so So many flames going on. I'm hotter than you. Shooting out. The sun. I'm the sun. Don't get too close. So big. I'll let you up. Feeling good. I'll give you radiation. You can't recover from that shit. Mmm. Gonna give you life. Gonna give you warmth.
So these two black holes that we first detected, we're, we're going to call these the OG black holes because these two are the ones that we first are able to get a, a sense of the expansiveness and the magnitude of the universe, okay? So 29 and 36 respectively times the mass of our sun. These two black holes, that's 27,998,137 Earths. That is so much mass. And these two black holes over the course of billions of years orbited slowly around each other. And in a series of final minutes, we're talking billions of years escalating into, into seconds, milliseconds. The final fraction of a second, they collide at half the times the speed of light and release three times the mass of our sun in pure energy. So the peak power output, whenever these two black holes collided, was 50 times the amount of energy that we can see in the universe with our eyes. 50 times the amount of energy being put out by every single sun in the entire universe was released in a fraction of a second. And it traveled billions of light years, and it finally got to us. Now by looking at that, those two signals, they received them fractions of a second from the Washington Observatory and the Louisiana Observatory. That's how they're able to tell whether or not it's true interference. And they also collaborated with the Virgo Institute, which is in Europe. And they were able to triangulate between multiple observatories that this was a real event that did happen and it wasn't just a fluke on the system. You now, sure this that is, happened? I'm 100% sure this happened. Are you happened. positive? I, I don't see it on my computer. I don't know. Like this guy who's telling the story seems like... I don't know, he says it happened, but... But, like, my computer doesn't say anything. My computer said some stuff, just but, like... I just wonder, like, if it happened. I don't know. Seems pretty far-fetched. Now, there's what we call, in the science world, a technological half-life. It's this idea that for every human advancement, the next advancement, the next big step, takes us about half as long to complete. And this is a ramp-up process for species as they evolve they start to evolve more quickly. It's exponential involvement. The craziest part about this story is that for 60 years, we had no idea if we were gonna be able to measure gravitational waves. In September 15, whenever they flipped that on, from that date, they have had multiple, multiple other discoveries of black holes from the second they flipped it on. They've done about more than three runs at this point. So many black holes. Gravity is a force which tries to pull two objects toward each other. Gravity. Anything which has mass also has a gravitational pull. Gravity. The more massive an object is, the stronger its gravitational pull is. Earth's gravity is what keeps you on the ground and what causes objects to gravity is called gravity. So after that first detection in September, they detect another collision in December of the same year. The second detection was two solar masses, two black holes, the solar mass 
One of them 14.2 times the size of our sun, the other one 7.5 times the mass of our sun. And in 2016, they stopped the run. They decide to harness a little bit more of the technology that they have available. They decide to fine-tune those lasers a little bit more. And in 2017, they decide to flip the switch back on the LIGO system. And then began an uncharacteristically successful mission where nine to ten observations were found in the following months. Because I'm colliding with you. Colliding with you. Oh, Ooh. so, so, that's how we do. so dance in space. I'm so dance in space. Gonna make love to you. And when I say I make love, I mean I'm just gonna collide myself with you. When I call back holes for nothing. after all of those supermassive black holes that they discovered, discovered the first ever collision of two neutron stars. A neutron star is basically a collapsed star that didn't have enough mass to form a black hole, but it still has an extremely large gravitational pull. And these neutron stars were 1.46 and 1.27 solar masses, which means that was that much bigger than that of our sun. And this sort of changed how we thought about stars and black holes. It's going to give us a way to be able to read neutron stars and black holes and delineate them between the, each other as well as understand them a little bit better. And so with us discovering those gravitational waves, they are now fine-tuning LIGO to be able to read more neutron star collisions as well. Due to the expansion of the universe, it's crazy. That neutron star collision now, today, is about 9 billion light years away from us. So it happened so long ago, the universe has expanded so much since then that it's, it's actually gone away from us, but we were still able to read it. So much time has passed. So much time I want to cry I see you through the galaxy And I just want to be with you I see you so Okay. 
And LIGO, still 100% operational, doing runs throughout the year. And it's incredible to see how far we've been able to come in the simple 50 years that we've been developing this sort of technology in the future for space travel, for understanding the cosmos, for comprehending the magnitude of black holes is wide open for us as a species. Now we have the ability to understand on a deeper level than we ever have before the magnitude of these cataclysmic events in outer space. And human scientific achievement continues to escalate exponentially with more technology and resources developing daily. Shannon? I just love learning about black holes. I feel like I should have learned a little bit more before accepting this position. Yeah, well, it's a dream job. It's a dream job. It's a dream job. I mean, if you don't know everything about something, you just keep learning more. You know. Pick it up somewhere. Black holes. We don't know much about it, so here we are learning what we don't know about black holes to make it what we do know about black holes. All I know is when there's a blip. There's a bleep. There's a bleep. Write it in the journal. Right in the journal. Then This Happened is recorded in my tiny recording studio in Chicago. To listen to the unedited version of this episode, go to patreon.com slash macrophone. You can also suggest future episode ideas there. The exact link is in the description of this episode, and there you can see photos of the podcast and production, hear how this is improvised in the first place. On vocals, we have improvisers Brittany Flynn and me, Matt Griffo. The songs are improvised on guitar is Andy Masters. I played the electric guitar on the Sun Song. On Cajon is Mike Amandis, and Robbie Ellis is on the keyboard for this one. He's a fancy, fancy lad. Send this to anyone that is really into galaxies, space, science, technology, or super into heavy things. Literally.